It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The Bengals community lost a legend today. Rest in peace, Sam Weish. This is your Locked On Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisko, along with Joe Goodberry. The Bengals' legendary head coach of the late 80s who led the team to the Super Bowl after the 1988 season died today of complications due to a recurring melanoma. Not too long ago, Weish addressed Bengals fans, players, coaches, and said, wear your sunscreen. And this is obviously why Bengals Nation mourns the loss of an innovator, a great human being by all accounts, a philanthropist, and a huge influence in the history of the Cincinnati Bengals. Sam Weish won 64 games in his tenure in Cincinnati, where he coached from 1984 to 1991. He was known for his innovation in terms of the no-huddle offense, including an infamous moment when the NFL tried to change the rules on him two hours before a playoff game against the Buffalo Bills. Sam Weiss said, To heck with your rules, we'll beat him anyway. Bengal fans of our generation may have started watching this team while Sam Weiss was the head coach and are influenced by that generation of Bengals football. For me personally... That rivalry with the Bills in the playoffs and the Bills coming back to copy that no-huddle offense and call it the K-Gun is the reason why I'm a Bengals fan personally. And Joe, as you may know, currently lives in the Buffalo area, so that rivalry probably has a little bit of extra meaning for you, Joe. So not only did Weish bring in the no-huddle offense that still survives today in the NFL, but hiring Dick LeBeau as his defensive coordinator and really starting the first zone blitz scheme that still carries out through everyone and has infiltrated every team in the NFL even 30 years later. Bill Belichick acknowledged Dick LeBeau's ingenuity in saying that he's never seen anything quite like the endurance of the zone blitz scheme originally pioneered by LeBeau under Weish's head coaching tenure. And he said that that play call, that zone blitz has hardly changed in over 30 years at this point, and it's starting to evolve now. But for a very long time, something that Sam Weish saw, knew was good, and let run free in Cincinnati was very dominant for Dick LeBeau defenses. In addition to that, Sam Weish is known for his charitable work. Jeff Hobson of Bengals.com did a great job summarizing that in Cincinnati, he became a tireless advocate for the homeless, He had a heart transplant in 2016. There's an article where you can see him without a shirt with a scar down his breastbone where they had to cut him open to replace his heart. And after that, he became very involved with organ donation in the Carolinas. Maybe what Sam Weiss will be known for best or maybe the longest. It shows his personality and his leadership as the coach as the Bengals were playing the Seahawks and fans were throwing snowballs out onto the field. Weiss grabbed the PA system and the mic and got on and spoke to Bengals fans. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. I could listen to Sam Weiss addressing the Bengals that day 
I don't know how many times. I've listened to it tons of times today. I'll listen to it some more. It's a great moment in Bengals history, even if the game itself wasn't so great. It's just so iconic and so memorable, and I don't think anyone's going to forget that. We do have the rest of the show for you today, though, and as planned, we're taking your questions for the weekend mailbag, and we'll dive into those. But first, we have to remind you, Abco Safety has come back to sponsor the Locked On Bengals podcast for the third time. And as we're here in a new year, we're still just so appreciative of our first sponsor and our most frequent sponsor. They're a safety distributor located in the Cincinnati area, partnering with 3M to sponsor the podcast. And if you need safety equipment, you should give them a call because they'll save you money on your safety budget. Joe, what are you looking at today on www.abcosafety.com? Well, I went to categories, I went to foot protection, and I found something that you might like, Jake, when you go on your hikes, and they're called stabilizers, and they're an apparatus that goes on the bottom of your boot to give you extra grip, and they look like they have little metal claws in there for, for climbing and stability. Good old crampons. That's what those are called. Okay. Check out their inventory, www.abcosafety.com. They will establish corporate pricing for you when you become their customer. So keep in mind that the prices on their website are retail prices. Give them a shot at quoting your safety equipment. Again, you can call them at 513-672-1818. Mention Lockdown Bengals so they know you came from the podcast. Jake, it's playoff time. That means if you want to win and win some money, we've got the hookup for you. I'm not the type of guy that likes to bet my money, even with the knowledge of football I think I have, but my bookie makes it so easy to feel like you're not getting scammed or you're not putting you know, the into bad odds or bad numbers or, or, or against the spread that you're probably not going to win. They give you a lot of different options. They give you a lot of different ways to feel like you're going to make some money back and uh, they've got a good program going on too right now. If you go to mybookie.ag right now, and they'll give you uh, $1,000 up to your $2,000 deposit. So so that means you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. So not only are you confident in making your bets, that's already a free $1,000 right off the jump right there. I don't know how you can deny that. So you want to enter promo code locked on at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. It's our mailbag. We got your questions, your burning questions as we enter the offseason. And right off the top, I, I like this question. It's from Hummus at Tadford on Twitter. Sometime during the offseason, and we're going to do it right now because it's during the offseason, could you explain what is involved with the practice squad? Do they share facilities, have numbers, who can get them, salaries? So for Cincinnati, I can address a couple of these questions. They do share facilities. They're part of the same locker room, but for the Bengals, they have this giant open locker room for the main 53-man roster. And in camp, when there's 90 guys, the main, you know, the veterans get lockers in this large open space where they have these big lockers. They have their nameplates on there and everything. And then they have this little side room off the main locker room that the rookies undrafted guys use during training camp. And then the, the practice squad takes over. So they're part of the same locker room, off to the side a little bit. They get paid $8,000 per week in the regular season, a lot less than that, somewhere in the neighborhood of one to $2,000 a week for training camp and in the preseason. So they can end up making 
last year an article said about $88,000 after tax a year. As far as who can get them, they're totally unprotected on the practice squad. You can go from one practice squad to another if you think you have a better opportunity somewhere else. The player has the right to choose, and any team can come sign you off the practice squad onto their active roster. And I don't know of any players that are going to turn down opportunities to be active to stay on a practice squad, even if they have great relationships with that original team. Right. And as far as practice and things like that, they're generally running the scout team and being a big part of that. Like if say they, Hey, you've got an athletic guy in here. We need you to play wide receiver today and just do this and run these routes and know these plays from the, from the opposing team. So uh, that's if they get to actually practice, that's their role is to do things that are outside of the structure of the regular team. And I don't think they have numbers. I think they would get numbers when they were put onto an active roster. But I don't know the answer to that part for sure. I think when you look at them on the Bengals' website, they have numbers. But I, they, those guys had numbers in camp, so maybe they're just placeholders in terms of these were the numbers they had in camp. I assume these are the numbers if they get called up from the practice squad. Did we have anyone this year that was called up? Uh, I'm drawing yeah. a blank. Uh, of course. Stanley Morgan. Right. Damian Willis. And he kept 17. Yeah, Willis, and he kept his number each time, up and down and on and off the roster. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I guess they do have numbers, or they just kept the numbers that they had in the preseason. There you have it, Hummus138 at Tadford. Hope that answers your question about practice squads. Our next question comes from AZ in Wisco, at AZ in Denver. So are you in Denver or are you in Wisconsin? Does Randy Bullock get another year now that he has set the franchise record for the longest field goal. And actually, Joe, there is a hmm. little graphic today published of expected field goals made against actual field goal percentage. And Randy Bullock was better than expected. He had a better than expected year. So, yeah, he had uh, for what he is. This is like if Andy Dalton. This is for me. This is an Andy Dalton 2015 year for Andy, Randy Bullock. This yeah. is as good as we can possibly expect him to be. Will he be that next year? I don't know. But you don't. I, th- I think he's the kicker going into 2020 because it's coming off his best season. It's just funny to me that I think both his expected make versus actual make is as elevated and his the whole purpose of this question is elevated because he missed a 52-yard field goal twice. Before they got that. a penalty, and then he got the 57-yard field goal. So if he never gets to kick that 57-yarder or if they don't take the timeout and his first 52-yard attempt doesn't go in, He's probably worse than expected then, or maybe at expectations, and we're not talking about this. I don't remember what game it was, but do you remember the one he kicked short at about 49 yep. or 50, whatever it was, and I then do. he came, and, but same thing there, he gets a retry on it, and he shanks it left. Yep. Uh, I mean, I don't want to talk about the bad stuff, it's just his the kicks he made were just ordinary, but he made them all. Except that 57-yarder, which was a thing to behold, especially for Randy yeah. Bullock. And in that game, too. Next question is from Chad at Asgardian Hero. So Chad's a fan of Thor, I'm sure. Are we too excited by the potential of Fred Johnson at the tackle spot? How excited are you? Because I feel like we talked hmm. with really guarded optimism yesterday, and we're talking about he's going to be a swing tackle at the very least, and we think that he's got a spot on the roster next year. But I don't think we're really talking about him as a starter. And as of right now, I don't expect him to be starting next year. But I expect he will be the first tackle off the bench unless they go out and get somebody. Here's the truth, or here's the facts. 
He played basically two games against subpar competition. Sure, he had a couple snaps against the hurt Olivier Vernon, uh, but he was great. Honestly, when you watch it, he was very, very good in pass protection. Uh, one of some of the best performances they've gotten all year during that stretch without giving up a pressure, a hit, or a sack. All of that is fantastic. Uh, other truth is that sometimes undrafted guys and guys poached off the practice squad, especially on the offensive line, seem to work out around the NFL. Undrafted offensive linemen start all the time all, all over the place. So there is a chance that maybe he is a starter. But the other truth is that I think both tackle spots are spoken for going into next year. Sure, maybe there's a competition with Bobby Hart. Maybe there's another draft pick also that's not out of the realm of possibility. Maybe Johnson is a guard also, and maybe he gets in that way. Uh, but as of right now, he's a bonus player. If he comes into camp and he builds off of what he did this year, yeah. If he if he gets better from what he showed, he will find a way to start somewhere. Yeah, if he manages to find a way to consistently play with leverage, which is challenging for him at 6'7", yeah. 325. Because when he gets into trouble, Matt Minich did a great video breakdown piece on CincyJungle.com on Fred Johnson's performance, you should go check that out to get uh, the play-by-play, the week by the the weaknesses and the strengths. He struggles when he gets high and mm-hmm. when he gets narrow. And that's a consistent thing for guys that are as big, 6'7", as Fred Johnson. So when you talk about moving him to guard, he probably has the athleticism to do it, but is he going to be able to consistently anchor right. and play low against I think Gino would guys like Geno Atkins? Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's a terrible matchup. When you look at how Johnson's built, his hips are really high. He's long legs. He's narrow in that section. He's he's more triangular built, um, you know, instead of pair built like a lot of offensive linemen. So I I think there could be a potential for balance issues. But Whitworth was built that way uh, also. So uh, he was big, stout, broad, broad shoulders, long arms, and that helped him manhandle guys for a long time. And the way you get around that is technique. And so yeah. Fred Johnson has an opportunity here. He according to Matt Minich has shown signs that he's very coachable, that he has the intuition. He's not making the same mistakes twice, kind of gets beat by a stunt on one drive against Miami, comes back the very next drive and picks up the stunt beautifully. So if he has the drive to improve, then there very well could be a competition or he could be a starter of the future. But I think for the same reasons you point to Fred Johnson finished the season strong, people are going to point to, Hey, Bobby Hart also finished the season strong. And by people, I mean, Bengals coaches because Bobby Hart in the second half of the season was actually pretty good in pass protection against that same competition where Fred Johnson and Cordy Glenn excelled yeah it's just they they really didn't face an edge rusher for the final half of the year and uh they did their job and which is good yeah I would have loved to have seen Fred Johnson go against Miles Garrett for some real would have have loved to have seen Jonah Williams, if somehow he could have played those final two games. You know how we were kind of speculating, maybe he could play those two. I wonder if he got practice time at all. Remember, he was cleared to practice. I wonder if he did anything. uh, Because if it wasn't – because Fred Johnson was backing up Cordy Glenn, so how many snaps would Jonah Williams even have gotten in practice? It must have just been been individual stuff. It sounds like it was non-contact stuff. From from what I read an article today that talked about it. I think it was mostly non-contact stuff. Anyway, our next question comes from Ryan Way at Ryan Way 9. In response to one of Joe's tweets about too early to tell about potential two and three round linebackers until the combine, would that make such a difference in comparison to other positions? Yeah, this was someone asked me, can we start looking at day two linebackers and can you rank them? And for me, uh, this was in response to linebacker that I – I would wait for the combine, which is in February, because 
there, there's a lot of guys that are going to move. If you remember last year, we are getting Devin Bush in these mocks in round two until the combine. It, I think Devin White would have been there at 11 until the combine. And these guys test like 99 percentile freaks. They get moved up a little mm-hmm. bit. Jermaine Pratt, you know, he and, and the other guys that kind of separated. Mac Wilson would have been a target in round two until he bombed the combine. And that's going, what, fourth, fifth round, whatever it was. So they will move. Linebacker is one of those positions that's turning into – one of those new age positions where you need an athlete. And if they're not, they're going to suffer and they're going to fall. Uh, and But that's the case with a lot of them. If you look at like defensive end in this class, offensive tackle, a lot of these tackles are going to come in with shorter arms or shorter or lighter than you expect. And next thing you know, they're going to be guards. And we're going to look at this guard class a little differently. Uh, edge rushers, they have to test athletically. If they don't, it is stacked against them tremendously. So there is a lot of chips to fall still for the the senior bowl and then the scouting combine. And we still need guys to declare for the draft. And we've got a couple of weeks for that. Yeah. There's a lot still in the air as far as who will be available when we're asking this question, whether Dylan Moses stays out of the draft, which I think is probably likely, or if he ends up in the draft after his father, the lawyer issued a statement today saying that his previous statement that he was going to go back to Alabama was ill-advised and that Dylan Moses is part of a trust and thus cannot make this decision independent of the trust. So some weird legal stuff going on there. But as is, Kenneth Murray is in the draft, and Isaiah Simmons is in the draft, and those are your two top linebackers. And right now, this could be very similar to Devin Bush, Devin White, where Isaiah Simmons is seen as a top 10 guy. Right now, Kenneth Murray is seen at the end of the first round guy. He could just spring up the boards if he has a good combine. Right. And that changes the entire conversation and landscape. Totally. Next question is from James Supini, I believe. Nope. I what? Supinski. What we, oh, I wasn't even. I look overlooked it completely. I like Supi though on Twitter, which is much better. So I, I appreciate that name. Besides resigning of Trey Hopkins and obviously Jonah Williams, is there anyone you saw this year that is a viable piece for the offensive line? What do we mean by viable? Exactly. I think starter quality, maybe. I think he's talking starters because I think we've – here's like one thing they did starters? answer. I don't know good starters, but at least, okay, we, we're we not going to attack that position in, in the draft or free agency. Yeah. But if there's an upgrade available and we can take them, we'll take them. For me, I think that like, that describes uh, John Miller completely. Maybe. They just signed him. He played decent enough that if – you're, if you can't get a better guard, that's fine. You don't have to push it. You may bring in some competition with him. In, in form, it could be Billy Price and Michael Jordan. It could be Fred Johnson. But the point is uh, you don't have to run out and sign a guard. When you start to talk about guys that I consider to be starter quality, it's it's Hopkins, and Hopkins, the way he finished the season, is more like average starter quality, right. not good starter quality, which is what I thought at the beginning of the season. And that might improve with better play around him if, if they get better guards. But outside of that is question marks everywhere. And I count Jonah in there as well. We have no idea what Jonah Williams will be at the pro level. And, and we still have to tell. Like we expect, But he's going to be a starter. Yes, he will be a starter. And we expect that he will be a good starter, but he's essentially a redshirt rookie next year. So we don't really know what kind of production you're going to get at left tackle. Right. John Miller is a replacement right guard, maybe a little bit better than replacement, but I'm not calling him a good starter the same way I'm not calling Bobby Hart a good starter at right tackle. So there are question marks for me. Is Michael Jordan going to be able to step up? Is Fred Johnson going to be able to step up? Is Cordy Glenn going to be on the team? And if any of those guys are still around and if they 
progress, then maybe you have somebody. But right now, I don't think that they have a good line next year figured out yet. They have the pieces for it to fall into place, but it needs to fall into place. One thing I did appreciate this year is that everybody played on the offensive line now that the season's over. And, and, you know, it hurt them at times, obviously. But now we can say, well, Michael Jordan was terrible in the first half, and he was better in the second half. Now, he wasn't good, but Michael Jordan at least made you think, okay, maybe the trend is going up for him. He's a young guy, and he's got room to improve. So you you look at even Bobby Hart, you look at John Miller, even if you say he's just an adequate or replacement-level guy, uh, Billy Price even, he's going to be on this roster more than likely. You have at least a lot of depth, Fred Johnson obviously also. So I think there's one hole on the offensive line right now, and that's left guard. And that's because I don't think if you – if you're trying to go into next year and win and you're going to line up right now, day one of training camp, you don't have a left guard. It's Michael Jordan. You'd move Fred Johnson over. Maybe Jonah Williams moves over and Fred Johnson plays left tackle. I don't know. But you don't. You have questions to answer at that spot, whereas I would just line up Hart and Miller on the right side. And it's not good, but what it is is adequate starting experience in the NFL that can get you through. If those are your number four and five guys on your offensive line, you're probably an, an average offensive line. If you if you go out and get a Graham Glasgow or, or Brandon Scherf, not going to happen, right? But if they did, and those guys were your four and five, rather than your, at times, two and three, well, then you feel much better about this line. Bobby Hart was PFF's 52nd best offensive tackle this year. And he was better than he probably ever has been. That's yeah. bottom of the barrel starter, if you want to call that a starter. His pass blocking... A little bit better. It was up at like 38th, but his run blocking graded out really poorly for PFF. If you look at the guards, I don't think it's going to be much better. So let's have a look at the PFF list for guard. Right, for John Miller. Scrolling down, scrolling down, there's John Miller. He comes in at 45th. I I mean, that's, you know. How many do you have? 60, 70? Bottom of the barrel. how, How many rank in here? Uh, I'm looking at 64. Billy Price is at 63. Michael Jordan is at 61. Yep. And that's because those guys had horrendous first halves where their grades were like 29 overall. Mm -hmm. That'll certainly weigh you down. But even Michael Jordan's best game to end the season, he had a a 71.7. Great game. By, By all accounts, his pass blocking the last three games of the season, again, we've talked about the quality of competition in those weeks, was very good. So you give him credit for doing the job but it wasn't like he was very hardly tested. Generally, his pass blocking pretty good from week eight forward, limited snaps from week eight until he retook his starting job in week 13. He's a young guy. There's reason yeah. to believe Michael Jordan can start for you at left guard next year, but he hasn't proven it. We don't no. know if he's going to be viable. That's why I say the pieces are there. Will they fall into place? Do they fit together? Uh, that, that remains to be seen. Yeah, and I agree. They have pieces. We just got to see what happens. Our next question comes from Burrow to Bengals. With the championship and senior bowl being less than a week apart, is it possible that Burrow won't play the senior bowl? And do you think that would have any impact whatsoever on his draft stock? No, not at all. If he doesn't play in the senior bowl, it makes no impact. And I think actually playing in championship and then coming straight to the senior to the senior bowl that happens every year uh those guys are gonna go other because there's lesser players that are invited not just number one draft pick quarterbacks uh, but baker mayfield went to the his uh his senior bowl year and he played georgia in the semifinal game so he had a couple more weeks but 
someone was asking why go was the number one pick. Well, because one of the biggest uh, traits or selling points for Burrow is that he's a hyper competitor, right? That he wants the extra practice time. He wants the, the extra reps. He wants to, to do all the extra stuff on the side. I think he lives for this stuff. I think showing up and going and throwing some balls around where, where the, you've got nothing to lose because you're going number one no matter what. You put together 14 absolutely A-plus stellar performances, and they weren't all that, but you get the idea of over the course of the season, a couple missed balls aren't going to knock you out of being number one, and it's your coaching staff there. So I only think it serves to solidify it even earlier for Joe Burrow. And the Bengals and Lions are now confirmed to be the coaching staffs for the Senior Bowl. So, yeah, it's a chance for him to get to know Zach Taylor and the Bengals coaching staff. I don't really know why he would skip on that opportunity, right? Even if it's just practice, has there ever been a quarterback that's gone and not played? I mean, does that take the opportunity away from other guys who might have played the game? Maybe he plays a couple of drives, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. Zach Taylor, you know, gets down there, meets him, does the practices, and says, Oh, you know what? You're the guy. I'm going to protect Car- you. Carson Palmer played, Andy Dalton go. played. I mean, the first guys that were picked uh, number one, and Carson Palmer, I know Dalton wasn't, but Carson was pretty much known to go number one at the spot, too, and he played in the Senior Bowl. I just want to talk real quick while we're on the topic of Burrow, and we have one more question on Burrow right after this one. Jeff Hobson called Burrow wispy in his mailbag today. It means he's too light. He's like, is he going to show up and be just 215 pounds? He's 6'4", listed at 215. Andy Dalton's 6'2", 220. We're, we're calling and him. He was two sixteen when he was when he was at the combine. Andy Dalton was. We're calling we're calling this guy Wispy. Wispy. Because he weighs two hundred and sixteen pounds at six four. Come on. Ridiculous. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> it's it's just like he he's talking about you know there's good reason to think that you know you could trade back get some more picks and get your quarterback in the second round. They did it with Boomer Siason and it's just like. In in Hobson's defense. He does say, if Burrow is that much better, then you have to take him. And he is that much right. better. And he also acknowledges some very positive traits for Burrow. He also asks questions like, is his arm stronger than Dalton's? And even if it isn't, it doesn't matter. Because Andy Dalton's arm strength plays at the NFL level, but the rest yep. did not. Anyway, next question comes from Brian at B. Bow. What are the best reasons to not draft Joe Burrow first overall? not draft okay so we're going to pinpoint we're going to nitpick a little bit here because jake and i are both 100 percent in on drafting joe burrow right i mean i'm not speaking for you jake uh so we're looking for reasons not to okay number one for me would be chase young surprising to say right but chase young's a freak and he's really really good so if you were like hey you know what um, now we do this from a Bengals perspective, but if we were any other team like the Lions or or the Redskins, it would be 100% easy scenario, right? You're taking Chase Young, but because the Bengals do need a quarterback and a reset at that position, uh, it it's easy to go with Joe Burrow. But the other thing, if you want to talk about just about Joe Burrow, it's that his meteoric rise, his his excellent play this year is so different than what it was last year. Even though when I went back and watched his games in order. They got much better in 2018. I think they have gotten much better in 2019. His last game was his best. The game before that versus Georgia was even better, or you know, in even better than the game previous to that. Uh, so point being is, I think he continues to get better, but there is some concern with that. That is this who he's going to be. If it was three years, two years of this play total, you there'd be no question about it. It's just that this year is so fantastic that you can't deny it. And then as uh, 
wispy Jeff Hobson even asks, is his arm strong enough? Is it, if his arm is exactly like Dalton, Dalton's arm isn't the reason he wasn't good enough. Um, it was all the other things. It was his inability to remain accurate at all three levels of the field. It was his inability to deal with pressure, manage the pocket, break the pocket, go off script and make a play and create plays. It was his inability to uh, hit the deep ball consistently enough and just use all three levels of the field. And I think that's a form of arm strength, right? When Dalton gets pressured or has to move in the pocket, when he has to throw on the run, when he has to push a little bit extra to that second and third level, Dalton loses accuracy at a, at a uh, rapid rate. Joe Burrow does not. Uh, he, it's nothing to him to throw off balance or off the ground or on one foot or spinning backwards because he's that kind of guy that's in his DNA as an athlete. Uh, and I think for me, even if he has the exact same arm as Andy Dalton, he'll be more successful than Dalton is. I don't have much to add. I can't think of a compelling reason to not draft Joe Burrow first overall, given everything we know right now. What he's doing is just so unprecedented. And when you turn on the tape, it backs up all the freakish stats he has. The next level stats from PFF, like his accuracy, are, again, unparalleled. He's doing things that have never been done at the college level before, and he's better than all the guys that you're talking about being the next big thing right now in this college football season. So I guess the only one would be, are you that shook by him only having one elite year? That's the only right. question. And right. and. I don't see how the answer could possibly be yes at this point, because at this point we have like 17 games of good tape of Joe Burrow at this point. Yeah. The only thing I'll say also is uh, for anyone who's concerned that the Bengals may not do it or should take it, Chase Young, whatever that, you know, if there's any doubt on Joe Burrow, uh, this is the best quarterback prospect the Bengals have been able to draft since Carson Palmer. And when I say that is because when I go back and I look, they haven't had a chance to draft everyone. They didn't get a chance to draft Andrew Luck, right? They weren't there. Luck went number one, and that's it. They didn't get a chance for RG3, yada, yada. Um, and I think Burrow's going to be in that range of, and, and since 2000, it's, we're going to look at it and say it's Burrow, Luck, and Carson Palmer for uh, like guys that go number one that are slam dunks for for this you know this 20-year span. And that's rare territory, and those guys tend to pan out. That doesn't mean that he's going to be you know the best quarterback of the last five years because guys like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes weren't as good sure, as prospects right. and then they put it all together at the NFL level but just on pure college tape and production they were not as good as Joe Burrow as prospects now yes if you compare Joe Burrow now to what those guys are in the NFL you, you take those guys that are in the NFL most likely but if Joe Burrow takes a similar leap or has any potential left in the tank and this is the other concern, is that he's going to be 23, then you, you kind of get what you get with some moderate improvements, and that would be the other thing that would concern you, but he's just so hyper-efficient. You can win with Joe Burrow. The only way you don't win with Joe Burrow is if you don't adapt to his strengths and you ask right. him to throw 15-yard outs for the entire game. Yeah. Let's get to our next question, though. All right, I have this. It's from Jackson at Jay Matavia. Could you guys explore what a potential Joe Mixon extension looks like? What's a good number for the team versus what's good for Mixon? Is there any compromise and does it make sense to extend Mixon while we have Burrow on a rookie deal? So there's a good point there about savings on a rookie contract. However, Joe Burrow is going to be making like nine to $10 million a year. So you save. No, it'll be about seven this year and then it'll go up to about 10 on his last year. Wasn't it eight? 
million it, for on average. first year? Okay, okay, so it's, it'll be a little bit lower in the first year. Six for Kyler last year, add 10% every year, basically. So if I'm doing a deal for Joe Mixon, I'm front-loading it heavy. Because I'm looking at Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley's deals, and I'm seeing that Todd Gurley has most of that money in the first three years of his deal. And if mm-hmm. the Rams need to get out of it, they can get out of it after 2020. They eat dead cap, but they save money. So I'm front-loading the first three years of that deal with as much of the guaranteed money as possible. On top of that, in terms of talking about the yearly, so you look at Todd Gurley, $14.3 million. You look at Ezekiel Elliott, $15 million. Again, with Zeke, after 2022, the Cowboys can get out of that contract pretty painlessly. They guaranteed a ton of money in the front part of that deal. You guarantee the money, you guarantee it in the first part of the deal, and then you can offer Joe Mixon something like 12 ish million dollars a year, which is what I think it would probably take to get it done, give or take. That would make him a top five running back in terms of salary in the NFL. And I think that Joe Mixon probably thinks that he's in that ballpark. I, I don't yeah. think that much less would get it done. You could start at 10 million and see if you could get it done there. But I think the most important thing is to put the money at the beginning of the deal, have less guaranteed money, less cap money at the end of the deal if you can do it that way, and then that gives you flexibility in case he falls off a cliff. I think you have to convince him to take less. And I say this for the future of the position and because I want him to be on the team and I want the Bengals to get a deal done, but it's stupid to pay a running back too much money. Um you're getting a great advantage by having a quarterback on a rookie deal. You're saving $10 bucks that you were paying Andy Dalton. That $10 million, you can say, yeah, give that to Mixon. Give that to Green. Or pay a legit left guard. You chose not to pay Kevin Zeitler. And they could have afforded Zeitler. They could have afforded Whitworth because the cap is ever-growing. But you still, it's still 100% of the pie. It's still uh, got to be divvied up, right? You still have just as much as the next team, give or take, rollover money. But point being is if you start giving more than what's advised to running back, that means you got to pull it from somewhere else. So you're not going to pay a linebacker. So you're not going to pay a tight end. So you're not going to pay a left guard. And the advantage you get with having a cheap rookie quarterback is that you can – start boosting this roster and maximizing this cap and say, we're going to have that guard and we're going to have that linebacker. Uh, and then maybe you can make the case and maybe that's when you, okay, fine. That's we'll, we'll have Mixon also, but every like analytic and number and, and, and breakdown shows that it's way more important to have a good offensive line than it is to have a good running back. Cause not only does that help the run, the whoever running back you plug in, it helps your quarterback and passing is how you put up points. It's how you win in this league. And what kind of offense are they going to try and run? Is it in two years if Burrow's good? Is this offense now Burrow's and we're paying a running back 12 to 13, $14 million when Burrow's running the show and throwing it 550 times a year and Mixon's not out there because he still can't pass protect? There's potential for that to happen. And I, I don't, you name off all these uh, deals and they all have outs after two, three, four years, whatever the case may be. That should tell Joe Mixon something. Those yeah. guys are getting cut. It, it, they're not going to see the, the length of that deal. If I'm Joe Mixon, I would say, okay. I want to be here. I want to be paid. I want to be paid for five full years. I want to be here for five years. And the Bengals may do it because that's how the Bengals operate, right? That you see the life of your contract. So I would say, okay, $12 million a year sounds great. How about we add four years at $12 million per? That's $48 million in, in new money. He makes just under $2 million this year coming up. So total, you divide that. It's five years now. Uh, divide that by... Uh, 50 million and you have 10 million dollars a year which is 
swallowable for the Bengals. You can handle it, especially if you front load it while they've got some deal money here. So that in three years, when he's making 9.5 against the cap, let's say, you know, because you put you front loaded it a little bit. It's not that bad. He's going to rank like eighth, ninth, tenth best in the league for a veteran contract. And you say, OK, we can handle it because at that age, at 26, 27, he's still good. And our final question is from New Day Dusty at Dusty Balls 08. You know, I didn't even realize this was Dusty Balls. Way to go, man. Uh, when you're watching tape on a prospect, Jake. And Joe, but what's more valuable, his athleticism or field awareness football IQ? Is it more important to have the physical gifts or just being in the right spots, knowing how to read the opposition? Depends on what caliber of prospect we're talking about, I think. If I'm talking about a guy I'm looking at in the first round, second round, I want good enough athleticism to elite athleticism, and I want the field awareness and football IQ. I'm not Mm -hmm. drafting a guy in the first round. And depending on where I am in the second round, probably not the second round either if he's only good at one of those things. Like, that's a Margus Hunt I'm talking about where he's testing off the charts, but he's new to football. Or a Will Clark where he's testing really well, but you don't see it on tape. So those are the guys I'm not touching in the first two rounds. If I'm looking at a first, second round prospect, and this year the Bengals effectively have two first round picks, right? Because 33 is really an end-of-the-first-round pick for all intents and purposes. So I'm looking for all of these things. I'm looking for the most complete player that I can find. When you get yeah. to the middle rounds, it's I'm lowering the bar for both of the things, but I'm looking for promise at either of the things. So I have like minimum athleticism requirements that I'm looking for, period, no matter what. And then for field awareness, football IQ, ability to play the game, refinement and technique, all of those things... I'm looking to see, does he have a move if he's a pass rusher? Can mm-hmm. he, does he flash the ability to bend his knees, not lunge if he is a, an offensive lineman? Does he flash, you know, good route running? From, does, does he flash the tools that I'm looking for? Does he flash ball tracking if he's a corner? And if he can show those things in small bits, then there's reason to think, okay, we can build on that. And I'm looking for mm-hmm. those building blocks later, later on in the draft. So I don't think that one is necessarily more important than the other, but there are minimums for athleticism. And if it's a premium pick, those minimums are higher for me. Mm -hmm. And then for the football player part, I I think that you're looking for reason to believe that he can improve, that he has the foundation because we've seen time and time again, these guys that are crazy athletes, but not great football players just never turn into great football players. Sometimes they do though. Yeah, and that last point I think is, is great because when you're watching, it depends on the guy you're watching. Sometimes you're watching a guy and, and you're like, okay, does he have enough af- af- enough athleticism? Can he turn this corner? Can he make this guy miss? You know, you're kind of holding on hope that he shows you just enough athleticism to make you believe that, yes, he's worthy of whatever pick in that range. Because there's a lot of guys that are very cerebral or just naturally gifted guys. Uh, Vontaze Perfect was like this. And there was a lot of times I'd watch him be like, you know, I don't know if he can catch up to that guy. Man, he did. I don't know how he did. Great. I'm happy. You know, the some guys just find a way to get as much of their athleticism on the field as possible. And those are the guys that get described as they're just football players. There's there's some truth to that. You want guys that are just draft football players. I do want those guys. But you also need to draft athletes and you need to draft high caliber athletes. When you look at the best players at their positions, you look at the best players throughout league history. They're always very, very good athletes. And you may say, Jerry Rice ran a four seven or whatever the 
the it, it gets stretched the longer we go. But he, actually, all of his other tests were superb. So he, you know, it balances out some way. If one test doesn't show if a guy's an athlete, you can tell by watching Jerry Rice. He's a freaking really good athlete. So, it, you know, it comes down to I, I like it, what you say in the first round, second round. You want both of those traits. But as you go, it's you kind of kind of pick and choose. Sometimes there's a running back in like the sixth round. You're like, he's not the most natural guy, but man, he's such a freak. Darwin Thompson is that guy. And you're like, got to get him the ball in space. I'll figure it out from there. There's there's some risks you're willing to take. But at the end, sometimes a lot of times the Bengals are like this. Just give me a football player because I need that special teams guy. I need that Clayton Fedulum. I need that guy that I know is going to be on this roster for a long time. And it's best when uh, it's like Rex Burkett, who tested fantastically and as a football player. Those guys, how that's how you turn a six-round pick into a guy that's still playing and still contributing. Yeah, and you can find those guys late. It's not yep. to say you can't. And you see them every year. George Iloka is an example of this, I think, from the Bengals' history. Marvin Jones is a guy that inexplicably fell to the end of yep. to, to the fifth round. Stanley Morgan this year, we thought, was a guy that could be like that, and the jury's still out on him. But he was my special teamer of the decade. So good for he Stanley was the Morgan. football player, right? Like when you watch him, you're like, Morgan's got the natural ability. Look at him go up on this guy. I wonder if he's got enough speed. I wonder yeah. if he's got enough agility. Yeah. But and that's funny because you don't see him play special teams at Nebraska. Comes to the Bengals, and what's he do? Right? He's fantastic on special teams because he's a football player. Yeah. That'll do it for the first off-season mailbag of 2020, Joe. What are you going to do this weekend? Or, or is, are you going to get into some, I don't know, offensive linemen, watch Tyler Beattis from Wisconsin no. or something? I don't plan on that just yet. Uh, I will get into this before the Senior Bowl rolls around, but the Bills play on Saturday. I oh, yeah. plan on hanging out with my brother and watching that game with him. My birthday is on Sunday, and I think I'm going to make some lobster bisque. Same birthday as Sam Weish. Rest in peace, Sam Weish. Happy birthday, Joe. That'll do it for this episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. We'll be back next week with an older Joe. Same age for me, though. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.